The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I want to talk to you this morning about your heart. Six years ago, I was walking with my wife, Lynn. We were having our usual walk in the evening, and there was some incredible chest pain that I experienced. I had experienced some chest pain before, but it wasn't quite this severe. But in the previous times when I experienced this chest pain, I just kind of ignored it and just figured there was just something from an old injury or whatever, and I didn't bother to check it out. Well, this time it got pretty serious, and I ended up on my back in the bedroom, and I was running about a blood pressure of about 200 over 130. And um, so I was feeling quite dizzy, and Lynn came to me, and she said, Honey, you need to go to the emergency room. And I said, No, 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 I'm fine. I had a counseling appointment I wanted to get to. And she said, No, you're going to go to the emergency room. Well, I went to the emergency room, and they found out that I had six blockages in my arteries. As I was recuperating from that, God had spoken to me a lot about when I was down and and, uh, recovering from that. And God prompted me to not only write a book, but he shared with me, more importantly, the message in the book. And that is that maybe there are a lot of Christians today who have heart problems and don't get it. They don't know they have it. So this morning, what I want to talk to you about is your heart. I call this message Cardio Christianity, but before I get into this, I want you to remember this particular uh, cycle that I think every healthy church and every healthy person needs to have going on in their lives in order to really be productive for the kingdom. First thought is that healthy things grow. Can you say that with me? Healthy things grow. Now, a lot of people realize that when we talk about healthy things grow, healthy things grow uh, we think about the external pieces, and some of us have stopped growing. Maybe some of us are starting to grow out a little bit, but um, we've, some of us have stopped growing. But our cells continue to reproduce. So we're talking about healthy things grow either externally or internally. But healthy things grow, growing things change. We're going to talk a lot about change this morning. Change is very difficult for a lot of us because it's all about transformation. Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Be not conformed, but be what? Transformed. Transformed means to be continually changing and becoming more like Christ-like, more like Christ, day in and day out. That's a change. Healthy things grow, growing things change. Change requires risk. We don't like change because change makes us feel uncomfortable. The older we get, oftentimes it's more difficult to change, right? See, change requires risk, and risk requires faith, and faith makes you healthy. Well, I want to focus in a little bit on change with you this morning, because I really believe that transformation is the key to what church is all about. If I talk to pastors, and I do all across the country, one of the things I'll ask them frequently is to say, what do you want? If there's one thing you wanted in your church for your people, what would it be? And they said, transform lives. Transform lives. That's what church is all about. Making disciples and seeing lives transformed, becoming more like Christ. The problem is, in our culture today, in the evangelical world, we focus on two primary issues. The one is on the left side, where we're really good at feeding the church facts. We're good at knowledge when it comes to the evangelical world. We're good at uh, projecting the word of God. We believe in the inerrancy of scripture. And so we do a great job of of, of, of giving knowledge, data, facts, principles, concepts. It can be very academic. It's all about information. But I want to share with you this morning, information is not transformation, right? Because scripture tells us that knowledge can puff up. And what happens to a lot of us is that we think that because we know the Bible, somehow we're spiritually mature and we're constantly changing like Jesus. Not necessarily true. 
So we have a lot of good teaching in the church, and then we have over here on the right side of the equation what I call the hands piece, which is where we try to become obedient to those things that we know. And so we jump directly from our head to our hands, so we try to be obedient, we try to be accountable, we try to perform, it's behavioral, it's horizontal, and both of those can be very linear. We like linear in our culture. In Western culture, we love linear, don't we? We like the logical progression of life, and we like the microwave kind of thinking when it comes to Christianity. The problem is, let me go back, what I call, uh, we have a problem in our culture, I don't know if it's going to go back or not, but I call this behavioral Christianity. What I mean by behavioral Christianity is this. It says, I know, well, now it went back, didn't it? It says, I know, therefore I must do. It's a think and do kind of way of doing church. I call it behavioral Christianity, and I'm not necessarily sure if it's real Christianity, because if we go on, it's more like rote religion. You see, what's really fascinating about us as Christians, especially those of us who call ourselves born-again Christians, if somebody were to ask you, are you about a religion? No, I'm not about a religion, I'm about a relationship. Well, are we really about a relationship That's my question. Are we really about a relationship, or are we oftentimes in the evangelical world caught up just as much in our religious values rather than a relationship? So it's rote religion. It's extremely performance-based. It's more about doing than about being. And I want you to turn your Bibles, if you have a moment, to Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, because there's a church that's very similar to the evangelical church today. It's a church that I feel has been caught up in what I would consider rote religion or behavioral Christianity. And if you, in Revelation chapter 2, in the church at Ephesus, it says, there are, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have raised those who claim to be apostles but are not. And have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. So here's the deal. This was a church that was busy doing. This was a church that was very active. In fact, they probably had a program going on every night of the week. If you'd looked at their church calendar, you would have seen that there were all kinds of ministries and programs that the church at Ephesus was doing. They were a busy, active church, and from the outside looking in, you would say, oh, this is a healthy church. Boy, they've got a lot of stuff going on there. You know, they got a smorgasbord of opportunities, and it's great for the consumer mentality that's out there. They also had biblical integrity. You'll notice here that they didn't put up with false teaching. They were very concerned about the teaching that was taking place in their church. And we are, too, in the evangelical world. We want to make sure that it's biblically oriented, that there's a biblical worldview. And here's a church that was very concerned about biblical integrity. And thirdly, they were even patient in suffering, Scripture tells us. There was some conflict going on. There was issues going on, obviously, in those days of the early church. And so there was conflict, and there was hurt, and there was suffering. And they were patient in suffering, but there was a problem. What was their problem? They had lost their first love. They had lost their passion. Their heart wasn't in their ministry. And I'm here to share with you this morning that I'm wondering how many of us have our hearts engaged when it comes to our life and our ministry, because I think it's a core issue. So we assume it's in the church that a person who is externally obedient is a transformed person. And what I want to share with you today, that may not be true. 
See, what happens in the church today is that we have certain values that we put on people, external values. We say if a person is a prayer person or they have their devotional life, they're involved in a small group, they come to church quite frequently every Sunday, they tithe, they give. And so we immediately say, well, that person must be spiritually mature, right? I mean, those are the the gauges that we often use to see if somebody's spiritually mature. But Scripture says man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at what? The heart. God's looking at the heart. He wants to know where those values and those, those performances, those behaviors are coming from. That's, that's where God can discern. But what happens to us is we often look at the external side of it and then we make assumptions. So let's move on. I think we're stuck. There's a WRQT. I have no idea what that is. Maybe that's a radio station back on the East Coast. Are we stuck here? Okay, let's go back here. So here's what I want to share with you this morning. I believe that the key piece to real transformation is all about the heart. It's all about the internal mechanism that drives us spiritually. And so I want to share with you. Come on, you can do it. I know you can. Go ahead, go ahead, Stan. I'm going to, uh, there we go. That's what I want. I want you to notice that there's a centerpiece here of what I call the heart. There's the head, the heart, and the hands. All three of those need to be engaged in order for life transformation to really take place. Well, I want you to notice in the centerpiece, there's this thing called understanding, coming together, ownership. Now, if you go back to Ephesians, which is really fascinating to me when you think about it, the Ephesians were prayed for by Paul. And they were praying, when Paul prayed, he said, I pray that you would comprehend with all the saints the height and width and depth of the love of Christ. Now, that word comprehend is what in the Greek means to understand, to have an aha, to come together. And so what I want to share with you today is, is that the problem with many of us is that we jump from the head to the hands and we forget about the centerpiece, which is then where we really go vertical and we really get ownership and conviction and hear from the voice of God. And that's where life change really takes place. So Paul writes, prays this prayer. Let me read it to you. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Where? In your inner being. He's talking about the heart here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp. There's that word again. To comprehend, to have that aha moment, that internal mechanism that triggers real conviction. How wide, how long, and how deep his love is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So it goes beyond the head, he's saying. It's got to penetrate your heart. I think one of the problems today with our young people who are going through church and who are being raised in the church is they've gone from their head to their hands. They've been told by their parents. They've been told by their youth pastors. They've been told by their pastor that if you do this, you're really a strong believer. And there's never been an opportunity for that person, that child, that young person to really capture their heart so that they own what they believe rather than trying to believe somebody else's stuff. Anybody relate to that growing up? So here's my point. I began to think through then, if the heart is the critical component that seems to be missing in people's lives, then what does that really look like? 
Well, as I was going through my own physical heart problems, I discovered there are obviously, again, four chambers of the heart. And those four chambers need to be interfacing with one another in order for us to breathe and have life. And if any one of those chambers shut down, we've got a serious problem. We've got a health problem. And so I thought about that. Could there be four chambers of our spiritual heart that need to also interface in order for us to really see real transformation to take place? And the answer is, I believe, yes. Let me just share with you the first chamber of the heart. I believe the first chamber of the heart is honesty. In Psalm chapter 26, verses 2 and 3, the psalmist writes this, Put me on trial, Lord, cross-examine me, test my motives and affections, for I am constantly aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to your truth. David wrote this, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way. He's saying, basically, look, I want to be honest with you, God. I want to be honest with myself. I want to get out of denial. I, I want to make sure that when truth comes my way, there's nothing blocking it. There's no rationalizations. There's no procrastinations. There's something going going on here, God, and I want to be able to hear it honestly, and I want to receive it honestly. So it starts with honesty. But how many times have you approached somebody in your life where there's been an issue in their life, and you say, you know what, you're, you're, you're really a procrastinator, and they say, yeah, you're, you're right, you're right. Has there really been a transformation yet? No. But they've started in the right place. They're at least being honest about it. They're at least uh, saying, yeah, that's me. You got me. But if we stop there, there's no real transformation. So the second chamber of the heart is humility. In Psalm chapter 25, it says, He leads the humble in what is right, teaching them his way. Isaiah 66, verse 2 says, Tis the, To the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You see, I can be honest about where I'm at, but if I don't approach it with humility, or in other words, vulnerability, uh, 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 teachability, a brokenness, if I'm not approaching it that way, it's not going to change me. It's not going to make a difference in my life. So I need to make sure that I have an honest heart and I need to have a humble heart in order for God to really do a work in my life. Now, there's a third chamber of the heart, and I call this contemplation. This is the most important chamber, I think, in our heart. The reason being is, if I had to define contemplation, it would be this. Slowing down long enough to hear what God has to say. Slowing down long enough to hear what God has to say. See, our problem in our society is that we don't slow down. Have you noticed that? We want to stay busy. In fact, I think Satan's greatest strategy in the church today is to keep us all so busy that we don't have time to slow down and really hear what God has to say. Do you believe that God still wants to speak to us? Yeah. Yeah. Have, have things changed over the, the course of the centuries? Does God still want to? Yes, he wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to you. But if you're too busy to listen and hear what God has to say, you're not going to catch what God wants to do in your heart. And so it's really critical that we understand contemplation. It's slowing down. Be still and know that I'm God, it says in Psalm 46.10. In Psalm 51, it says, breaking free from our illusions, it search me, O God, again. There's ownership, there's conviction when God speaks to us. You see, I can share all this stuff with you this morning, but if God's not speaking to you, it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. Oh, yeah, you might feel guilty and you might go out and try a few things, but that's behavioralism again, right? That's just behavioral modification. That's not real ownership in life transformation. 
So there's a third concept, or fourth concept in the heart, and that's the matter of intentionality. Paul says, I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. So the problem is we are honest and we're humble and we jump right to intentionality. We have great intentions to do what God wants us to do. But until we've contemplated and heard from God for sure and we totally own it, instead of being extrinsically motivated, now we're intrinsically motivated. There's a different motivation. It's coming from our ownership, our values. It's something that we and God really put together in our hearts. And we had that aha moment and that discovery moment. And now there's real transformation. Now there's a life change. I'm convinced there are a lot of people who think they're Christians but have never owned it because they've either made a head decision or they've made some sort of an emotional decision and they haven't put the package together to see real life transformation take place. In fact, if you think about contemplation with me this morning, you think about all the Old Testament saints, all the New Testament saints, every one of them where there was amazing transformation in their lives was where? It was in the cave. It was on a mountaintop. It was in the desert. It was alone with God. And when's the last time we have been alone with God for an extended period of time? Many of you could probably share your testimony with me this morning that when God changed your life, it was probably at a camp or a retreat or a time where you and God just were in a, you were in a flat on your back and you were all by yourself and you were alone and it was all of a sudden you and God had it out, right? Sort of that come to Jesus moment. Well, the problem with us is we don't spend that kind of time with God. We don't take time to listen to hear what he has to say. We just say, oh, that was a good sermon. I got to do that. You know, I really got to get going on that. Well, it becomes behavioral, becomes performance, it becomes nothing more religion until we own it by the grace of God speaking to us and through us, through his word and through that time of contemplation. We're afraid of contemplation. Some of us don't like that. I, I, last Sunday, I, I had you guys spend a whole Five minutes just being quiet, right? Remember? And, and, and it was, for some, maybe it was a little uncomfortable to sit in a church service for five minutes of silence. We're, we don't like that. We've always got to have noise. We've got to have something going on in our lives. But it's really critical that we take the time to contemplate. So the heart is a critical, critical component. So here's my question to you this morning. How is your heart? How is your heart? And some of you uh, are saying, well, I, I, I really don't know. Well, I'm going to do a spiritual EKG on you guys this morning. Are you ready for this? Okay, we're going to do a little EKG. I want you to see uh, this um, chart up here because I really believe that contemplation is the key to that comprehension and capacity that Paul writes about. But on the left side of this equation, I want you to notice the how full. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. How full are you? How full are you? Now, that sounds kind of strange, but if we're talking about the capacity to know and love Christ, how full are you? Now, what I've discovered over the years is that there are, most of us operate very frequently at 100%. You know, we've, there's always something going on in our lives that keep us from being 100%. But my question is you subjectively to say, how full are you? In other words, um, you know, have I been spiritually kind of dry lately? Have I been kind of away from the Lord? I really haven't uh, really sensed his presence in my life lately. It's just been a really struggle for me. Or, or I've been giving out a lot lately. And so my percentage is pretty low right now. My cup is pretty, pretty empty. And, and maybe you could put up a number there and say, well, you know, maybe I'm about 50% right now. Maybe I'm about 50%. 
Well, I know that's a little bit of a subjective number, but think about this for a minute. If we're running at a 50% capacity, theoretically, is 50% of our life done in the flesh? That's a scary thought, isn't it? I talk to pastors all the time. You know that's what I do. I pastor pastors. And so I've got guys frequently who are telling me, you know, I'm just dry. I'm just spiritually dry. I'm running on empty. And then I'm thinking, you know, then no wonder there's no real fruit going on in the life of the church because you're running on empty. You're doing all your messages, your sermons, your prayer. All that stuff is done in the flesh. So my question to you this morning, how full are you? And if you want to jot a little number down there, that's, that's helpful. But I think that's really important for us to see and to start there to really recognize, and most of us kind of know, right? If we're really honest with ourselves, we can kind of say, you know, you know that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I, I, this, I have to admit, things aren't, haven't been going that well spiritually. I'm not on top of my game. I'm really running kind of really low these days. So let's move on. So let's think about this for a minute. Let's look at the left side of the equation. Because this is really important. One of the things that we need to determine in our lives is what really fills us. And I want you to think about this with me this morning. What fills you? What fills you emotionally? What fills you spiritually? What fills you physically? And it's a great thing to do. This would be a great exercise for you to do this week if you want to get alone with God for a couple hours to just sit down and say, what's filling me right now? What's going on in my life that's really filling my cup? Some of the things that fill my cup are, are transform lives. That's a huge one. When I see a life change, it just excites me to know that maybe God's used me to have an impact in that person's life. Another filler for me is that I, I love to ride my horse. I love to get out and just enjoy the fresh air and go for a run. It's just awesome for me. I love to exercise and listen to worship music. All those kinds of things fill me. And you can write all those things down right now. What's going on in your life that's really filling you? Here's the other side of the equation, though. What are some of the things that drain you? What are things going on in your life right now that are draining? Uh, I've written up there a few things in my life. Administrative tasks, details are draining to me because I'm a relational guy. VDPs, I call them very draining people. You got anybody like that in your life? I remember when I was counseling, when I was a pastor, and I would get these people that come into my office week after week, and I felt like I was being codependent because all they wanted was a little pat on the bottom and say, I love you, and they don't change. And they just suck the life out of you. You know people like that. They're kind of parasitical. You know, other things might drain you. I don't know what it is in your life, but what's draining you right now? And these aren't really uh, sin problems. These are just circumstantial things that go on in our lives from day to day that drain us. It could be right now financially you're, you're draining. It could be work right now that's driving you crazy. It could be your kids draining you right now, your grandkids. But I want you to notice, too, that sometimes things that are draining to us are also very filling, you know, and sometimes there's these seasons in our lives that are drains and fills. So what's draining you right now? Now, what's really interesting, if you would line up all the things that are draining you right now and all the things that are filling you right now, and you saw that there were a whole lot more drains and fills, you might be going, hmm, I think I've got a problem. No wonder I'm feeling empty. No wonder I'm spiritually dry. And, and, and the way to, uh, actually a pragmatic way to, to think about that is perhaps maybe I need to eliminate some of those things that are draining or download some of those things that are draining. And maybe I need to go back and rethink, well, what are the things that really fill me? And I need to get busy and do that. If it's, if it's exercise or something like that, and you said, you know, I haven't been out and, and walked or run or, or exercised for months. I need to go get back into that. That's a filler for me. 
And so there's a very practical way of thinking through this. But now the next part of this equation is really interesting. This is what I call leaks. See, if we're talking about keeping our capacity up, we've got to know where there's leaks. And leaks is what I would consider these, these subtle sin issues in our lives that kind of drip, drip our capacity away. In fact, many of you probably have had a leaky sink, right, or a leaky faucet. Have you ever stuck the plug in the sink and kept that thing dripping all night long? You realize in the morning it, the sink's pretty full. It's a subtle thing in our lives. So leaks are sin issues that have gone unchecked in our lives that continually cause leaks in our lives to the point where we're not running a capacity. One of my leaks for many years was unforgiveness. I think it's one of the biggest leaks in the Christian community today where I was continually wounded by the sheep in the church. And over a period of time, what I would do is I'd rationalize and excuse those wounds in the name of being spiritually mature, being a pastor, it's not me, it's not personal, don't, you know, get over it, sweep it under the rug. But in the meantime, I was compiling all this unforgiveness, and one day my heart burst. And I realized then that I had been harboring unforgiveness. I was leaking for 13 years in ministry. What are your leaks? See, your leaks are going to be different than my leaks. Your leak might be perfectionism. It might be procrastination. It might be overeating. It might be, you know, uh, drinking. It might be, you know, uh, anger issues. It might be fatigue where you're type A and you just kind of keep go, 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 go. And that's a leak. That can be a real sin problem. And we need to recognize those leaks in our lives and we need to get it fixed. We need to stop the leak. And most of the time when we stop the leak, it's usually through confession and repentance, right? we got to stop the leak. So what's leaking? And if you're not sure what's leaking in your life, ask your best friend, ask your wife, ask your kids, ask your husband. They would love to tell you, okay? They would be happy to get you in touch with your leaks, okay? So those are leaking. So my question today, what's filling your heart today? What's draining your heart? And what's leaking Here's the next question. What are alarms in your life? What I like about this particular piece is that God has wired us all differently. And on your dashboard on your car, you'll notice there are different idiot lights, right? And on those idiot lights, there'll be a, you know, engine light will come on sometimes, or ECU light might come on, or your brake thing might come on to saying that you need to change your brake, brake pads or whatever. But the point is this, God has uniquely wired every one of us with certain alarms. And it's important for us to know what our alarms are. Because it's God's way of getting our attention to say, time out, it's time to have a come to Jesus moment. And so my, a couple of my alarms are cynicism. One of the things I've realized in my life, I just blogged about this a couple of weeks ago, that cynicism is usually a sign for me that I have some unresolved anger issues, that I've been wounded or hurt or something's going on that ticks me off, and the way I deal with it is cynicism. And when I get a lot of cynicism going on in my life, I realize that God is saying, Garishay, your light's flashing. It's time to have a come to Jesus moment. It's time to stop whatever you're doing and to get some time out and get together with me and get this squared away. The other one is mine is the lack of compassion. I remember over the years in ministry when I didn't want to make that hospital call or I didn't want to meet with that counselee who was driving me crazy. I just said, you know, I want to blow it all off. I don't care about people anymore. And I realized, boy, you've got a problem if you don't care about people and you're a pastor. That's ridiculous. 
And so what God would say to me, that would be a flashing light for me, and I would have to have that, what I would call that come to Jesus moment, where I'd have to get away for some extended time and get alone with God and begin to really do some, a lot of self-examination and, 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 and listening to God and hearing from what God has to say, getting into his word and, and, and coming up with a game plan to get out of that spiral. So what are your alarms? Your alarms could be different, obviously, than mine. Some of your alarms might be a burst of anger. It might be fatigue. It might be cynicism, just like me. They're all different kinds of alarms. But what I love about alarms is that God is saying to us, look, I love you enough that when you are off base, when you are not running at full capacity, I have wired you and I love you enough that I'm going to throw these alarms in your face and you need to stop the car. You need to pull over to the side of the road and spend some time with me because I love you that much. And see, we're so afraid to do that. We're so afraid to address that. And what's really great about getting our alarms and and listening to God and, and, and dealing with our leaks is that when we experience God's forgiveness in our life, and see, we run from that. We run from repentance. We run from those times where where we have to really examine our own hearts because we don't want to deal with our stuff. But when we do and we really get clean and we really allow God's forgiveness to saturate our being, what happens? Our leaks stop and our capacity to understand his love grows, right? Right? You see, when, when we're so afraid to really confront our sin, and in reality, that's the best way to understand how much God loves us, and it increases our capacity. So we grow. So we're answering Paul's prayer. Isn't it ironic when you think about this? The church that Paul prayed for those aha moments to increase their capacity to love Jesus, what was their problem? They lost their first love. It's really interesting here. And uh, so let me finish here. Is that the last one? I think it is. Is there one more, Stan? So as you think about your own heart this morning, I want you to think about these facets of where your heart is. Are your fills more than your drains? Are your drains more than your fills? How full am I? What's leaking? What are my alarms? Now, let me just close with this thought. When I was feeling sorry for myself after I had my heart problem, I was sitting on the couch one day, and I was whining and kind of complaining because I had passed out once after I got home from the hospital, and the doctor thought maybe I had a fibrillation problem or I had an irregular heartbeat. And so they were monitoring me, and they wanted to make sure that I was okay so that I wasn't allowed to drive. And, of course, with my work that I do, I have to drive, I have to travel, and that just really ticked me off, and I was very frustrated, and I was sitting there whining and complaining. Well, Lynn came into the family room that day, and she said, Honey, why don't you just sit down and write down all the things that you're really thankful for? I didn't want to listen to my wife. Do you like to listen to your wife when she's right? So I, I, okay, so I got out a little spiral thing, and I began to write down all those things. And I began to really taste how God loved me over those past two weeks. I began to write down how he'd sent this incredible cardiologist in my life. I was one step away from a fatal heart attack. There was a clot ready to break off, and they caught it just in time. 
There were so many things along the way. It was uh, a, a man called me right in the middle of all of that whining who was a writer. And he said, Tom, have you ever thought about writing a book? He said, I'd like to write it with you. And that's what, I, what this book, where this material came from, was out of that. And I began to compile some of those, those thoughts. And all of a sudden, what happened? My capacity to know the love of Christ overshadowed the circumstances and my frustration. We're about ready to head into Thanksgiving. And it's really interesting, and I know about you, but over all of my lifetime as being a pastor, I'm always concerned about people understanding how much God loves them. That's really an important thing to me. But there's been many times in my life where I really haven't understood how much God loves me. Have you ever noticed that? And you know what a fascinating question would be in one of your small groups this week? is to go around the circle and say, how has God demonstrated his love in a specific way for you this week? And as you contemplate that and you really begin to add up all those little ways that God in his mercy and his grace demonstrated his love just for you, but if we don't take the time, and it's sad that we kind of just do it once a year during Thanksgiving, but in reality, every week, every day, there are opportunities for us to rejoice over God did this for me today. This was another divine appointment. This was this. And pretty soon our capacity to know and understand his love for us just continues to grow. And that excites us. And now our motivation is not of guilt. It's out of love and out of compassion to say, God, you're so cool. I just can't wait to get out there and live for you. Not because I I'm, I'm, I'm want to behave or because I have to do this or because I ought to. It's because I want to because I understand and comprehend your love. And so my question to you all this morning is this, how's your heart? Where is your heart at? For some of you, maybe you've been in this kind of rote religion thing all of your life. And God has never really touched your heart. He's touched your head and you've been busy doing, but has he really touched your heart? Would you pray with me for a minute? God, I know there's people in this room who are really struggling right now. They're, they're, they're not full. They're, they're struggling. They're, they're empty. They've been giving. They've been having so much stress in their lives, so much stuff going on that is, they've been feeling kind of empty. And Lord, help them to know that you love them more than ever. I'm reminded, Lord, of that verse that you wrote, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will enter into him and sup with him and he with me. Jesus is dying for some time with you. He wants that extended time with you. Maybe some of you, it's been a long time since you and Jesus had a, had a moment together. Where you've had some extended time And because of that, you've been spiritually dry. I want to encourage you to think about what's been said this morning and in the next couple of weeks, carve out some time for you and Jesus. And could I encourage you to, to just slow down long enough and, and listen and just hear what God has to say? Because I truly believe he wants to speak to all of us. For those of you who been struggling with a lot of drains lately. I just pray that you would know his presence. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And his love is always available for you. 
So, Lord, I don't know people's hearts, but you do, because we look at the outer appearance, but you know every heart that's sitting in this room. And God, you want their undivided attention so that you can speak to them and love them back. So I pray this morning we've been challenged enough to really get to know you even better. God, we want to go vertical. We want that intimate time with you. It's about a relationship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.